Okay, okay. Garrett, Matt, I want to set the scene here. It's a warm summer night in 2013. You're 16 years old, you live in the suburbs of Fort Worth, and you're looking for the party. You're sick of your piece of shit dad fighting sexual harassment lawsuits from his employees by day and beating up on your mom by night. You're sick of the community supervision your mom is under from running other drivers off I-35. She's been really leaning into her road rage since her nursing license was suspended for failure to disclose reckless driving charges. All you're really worried about is having a good time and slaying that local TCU coon. You and your friend's parents have stacked liquor cabinets, but you guys hit up Walmart instead for the extra thrill of that five-finger discount. You're not too worried when you get behind the wheel buzzed. Sure, you're several beers, a few blunts, and some Valiums deep, but it's no big deal. You've been in trouble with the law before. You got out of that one pretty easily, thanks to your dad's lawyer and your high school pre-law smarts. Nothing can really touch you. And that's when it all goes wrong. There's a crash. Four people are killed. Nine others injured. Some are permanently paralyzed. Your breathalyzer shows three times the legal limit for adult intoxication. So here's the question. Did you do this, or did the cruel, twisted society that wrought you do this? And that is a question we'll address today on Affluenza. (laughs) Welcome to Affluenza, everybody. The only podcast where we discuss the cultural disease that is capitalism. And joining us today, we have Matt Crispin. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Matt, what's that? What's that show that you do again? I forgot what it's called. Uh, it's called Chapel Trap House, available on uh, on websites everywhere. Great. Well, I am sure that if you keep at it, you will get a following in no time. Fingers crossed. <laughs> the theme, Matt, of our entire podcast is that kind of capitalism is a cultural disease. And I want to make the distinction between like a cultural disease and a mental illness like this kid's lawyers tried to frame capitalism as there's like several reasons why you should distinguish those but i think first and foremost you know it's spreadable it's something that you don't necessarily inherit uh but is like culturally transmitted you know so i think i want to talk about like a couple things here and first like does this affluenza theory is it onto something and second is it a good legal argument (laughs) I'm not sure how much I'm going to help you with the second part of that. You might have to bring in some legal expertise. I just want to explain a little bit about how it works using insanity to defend your client from a crime. Um, Criminal trials are always separated into two stages, the guilt phase and the sentencing phase. So if the lawyer is arguing evidence of insanity at the guilt phase. It means that they're saying that my client should be found not guilty, so innocent, because they really didn't know what they were doing, and so we can't hold them responsible for this. So that's what Ethan Couch's lawyer is doing here, is saying, like, we should not even uh, sentence this person. We should not find them guilty. Because he is so rich, he doesn't even know what he's doing. 
Right. And then the other way that it could be raised is in the sentencing phase, at which point you would argue this person has this history of mental health issues that means that their sentence should focus on something more rehabilitative. And when it's in sort of a settlement or a plea deal, like we see in the Couch case, those conversations sort of happen together simultaneously. And so his lawyer is here arguing both that you should not find him guilty of manslaughter uh, and that you should have him go through rehabilitative mental health care treatment rather than a punitive sentence. So when we talk about affluenza as a legal concept, the way that it was created by this expert and by this team of lawyers, we're really talking about a perversion of a protection for people that have genuine mental illnesses that we as a society have made the judgment should, uh, you know, excuse them from moral liability and accountability for certain actions that they themselves don't understand. And so affluenza, as it was argued in this court case, was twisted to support this rich white boy's narrative because of the money that his parents gave to the lawyer. And that's the point that we're trying to drive home here when we critique it. We can start at the beginning. This kid's got, like, a private school education. He went to Anderson Private School in Fort Worth. Reading from their website, it says, it's an educational setting where precocious children have an opportunity to participate with their peers. Uh, They enroll only gifted, talented, and creative children. So, like, the theory behind the affluenza defense is that someone is mentally ill by being so rich because of the sheltered life that they've had. But when we look at this kid's private school education, it seems like he probably had at least some opportunities to think about the consequences of his actions. Is there no sort of like normal teaching of morals at high school level if you go to a private enough school do they just let you do whatever you want i'm not sure i mean that's not required in public school education right there's no like philosophy or ethics component of a common curriculum that like high schools in america use i went to public school so and i I was i was a gifted and talented student in elementary school but all that meant is that i met with a bunch of other dorks before class and we, we made a coloring book one time and they did a half-assed job of trying to teach me Russian for some reason. That's all I really remember. I didn't really get anything about civics. I mean, I always assume with a very expensive private school like this that that these, more than anybody else, more than public school kids, and honestly more like college students, is that these are customers. So they're not going to be uh, in a position to be pushed in any direction they don't want to go. Like that That's the thing about this idea that you know that, that this kid was basically lobotomized by wealth i mean it's part of the thing that makes wealth do that is the having money re- removes obstacles and obstacles are what make you have to contend with yourself make you have to look inward and and figure out what is and isn't working if you could buy your way out of everything you'll never have to encounter a genuine uh, moment of truth and that's why it, it's. I think that the, the broad argument that they're making with this kid is is true, but the thing is, it's that it's true of everyone, you know. Like 
everyone's crimes in a capitalist society are structured by their social relationships and they're not and they're all as accountable for their actions but also they're as at the they're as at the whim of the world that that they were brought into as each other but it's only when you have money that you can actually make an argument like that in court and realistically have a judge find any value in it that's the distinction right and if if I'm this kid's lawyer, I probably would not try to invent a new mental illness. I would probably instead uh, try to argue a different tack about his culpability by raising the history of abuse in his household. Like, I think that that is the legal inroads instead of the affluenza defense. But the judge seemed to uh, disagree because the prosecution was asking for 20 years for voluntary manslaughter because he did kill four people. Okay, so before we talk about the sentence, we actually need to talk about his prior run-in with the law, which is actually, like, not funny or entertaining, but we need to talk about it to understand the legal arguments. So, like, the year before, he had a run-in with the police where they pulled him over, and he's 15, and he has, like, a naked 14-year-old girl in his truck, and there's, like, a bottle of vodka there, and he says, I've taken pre-law classes, I know my rights, when the cops pull him over... And then when they give him a ticket, uh, he says, thanks for ruining my life. So ruining my life, uh, what actually happened is that the municipal judge just gave him six months probation for possessing and consuming alcohol as a minor. So nothing happens to this girl. Uh, like, I, I don't know what truly happened there and can't really comment on it. Um, but this is his prior run-in with the law, and he's on probation at the time of the crash and, like, the Walmart raid and the beer pong tournament that all went fatally wrong. Doesn't it seem like the argument here is basically just he's, like, too cartoonishly a rich, like, a- adolescent person? It's just it's just so absurd when you watch the things that he does. In this, and you have on the record him saying things like that directly to the cops. It's just... It's like Scrooge McDuck in my mind, except teen edition. Yeah, this kid literally walking away from the scene of the crash where he killed four people and injured nine others was, uh, like, witnesses said that he said, I'm Ethan Couch, I can get you out of this, to his friends. So he was pretty confident, um, wasn't really worried at the time. And so basically the affluenza theory, they bring on this expert named... In the trial? Yeah, in the trial named, I think, G.J. Miller. And he develops the theory of affluenza and invents the term. Um, want to talk to you a little bit about the brilliant legal minds behind the affluenza theory. The attorneys are from Reagan Wynn, which is a law firm outside Fort Worth that, occur- according to their Twitter, is currently renting their office space from WeWork. So that's always a good sign. Shout out, Amber. Um, yeah, so the Reagan Wynn, who was Ethan Couch's lawyer, um, seems to have gone away from legal work and towards podcasting, which we love to see. I'd love to see another lawyer in the mix of the law to podcasting pipeline. Are there any lawyers who don't have podcasts yet? Is that a thing yet? <laughs> uh, it's actually required to be certified to practice at this point. But his podcast is called Taking the Piss, P-I-S, which stands for Profane, Irreverent, and Snarky. So don't mess with this meme lord. Terrible. It's pretty bad. So he is eventually sentenced... Um, 
to probation at this ranch, basically, called Newport Academy. Uh, it runs about 450k a year, and it includes uh, therapies such as yoga, nutrition classes, meditation, but that's like all pretty run-of-the-mill for this type of thing. What I really want to show you guys is the equine therapy that Ethan Couch was a part of. Equine therapy as punishment. Yeah, equine therapy is part of his sentence. Um, it was part of his guilty plea. There we go. So equine therapy is essentially an experiential way to practice different skills. So whether it's DBT, you know, interpersonal effectiveness, mindfulness practice, or you prefer, you know, cognitive behavioral. Okay, I'm just going to pause it there. She's certainly saying a lot of therapy words there. And as someone who has uh, been practicing dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT, for several years at this point, I can assure everyone listening out there that it does not require a horse. Uh, (laughs) Yes, you don't need a horse, but it helps. It does help. Well, she talks about how it helps, so let's, let's hear from her. That a lot of times for kids that don't connect with traditional talk therapy, you know, a lot of times adolescents don't want to just sit in a room and stare at you and spill their guts out so this a lot of times feels like a safer way to do that and using the horses as co-therapists just gives us a lot of feedback in the moment so there's not that delay hey, feedback can you pause that? the horse is the co-therapist <laughs> using the horse as a co-therapist we get more feedback in the moment i i don't understand what valuable information a therapist could get as filtered through the perspective of a horse. Maybe it's like, you know, uh, if, if they feel like he's improving, you uh, clomp twice, and if he feels like he's not doing too well, clomp once, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's pretty fucking sick. Um, so he is at this, like, retreat. I couldn't find how long he stayed there, basically, but again, $450,000 a year, which is about three times as expensive as any elite academic institution that you could possibly attend in America. Just, like, ridiculous kinds of money. Um, So we should consider the question, what does Ethan Couch's probation look like in comparison to someone who maybe is not as white or wealthy as him, including people that were sentenced by the same judge? And I would like to play a clip from Anderson Cooper, who we all know and love. And he will be talking to the affluenza therapist about just this topic. I looked at the website. I looked at what his schedule is going to be every day of the week. And it's it's cooking classes, one-on-one nutritional counseling, mixed martial arts, gym, equine therapy. He gets to ride horses, yoga, meditation. He has gym access. He can get beach access. If he's on good behavior, he can get television access. How is that punishment in any form for killing four people i'm not interested in how much punishment he gets i'm interested in taking away things that are important to him and replacing them with things that are in his best interest i mean you work with criminal defense attorneys all the time you testify in court it's it's a big part of of what you do you're concerned about the justice system you live in this community is this justice I mean, I, I'd love to go to a facility for a year and... Uh, Anderson, you could just do that if you wanted to. What, what are you talking about? Uh, I, if, I didn't, uh, if I didn't have this job at CNN, you're a Vanderbilt. You could do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, go off Anderson Vanderbilt Cooper. Uh, but here he goes again, asking for the hard questions. Four people. But this same judge sentenced a 14-year-old 
a not affluent African-American child, young man, who killed one person after punching that person and they fell down and hit their head, this judge sent that 14-year-old to the Texas Juvenile Justice Department for 10 years. And that kid is gonna be in there till they're 19 years old. And if they violate their rehab program while in they're in there, they may go to the adult justice system. So why is that okay for yeah. a 14 year old poor kid, but for a 16 year old well off kid, they get to go have equine therapy. Oh, this is, is great. His fair? answer is so great. Listen. Uh, there actually are uh, black people who have money, Anderson. I don't know why you continue to make this a racial thing there. Well, Fuck yeah, why would it be a racial thing, Anderson? <laughs> That's amazing. I love that transition from, like, he was sounding so almost progressive earlier in his, like, approach to the idea of, like, rehabilitative mental health solutions for criminals and i'm just like yeah that's you know that's not so bad sounding but i had to take a turn mm -hmm. because ultimately there's some harsh things going on at the center of this case yeah sounds like affluenza is colorblind ah well what i mean the guy has he asked to answer out because the answer first of all it's kind of funny that he's talking to the psychiatrist like this guy is essentially a hired gun and the answer to the question, why him and not the other kid, is because his parents paid this guy. It's because the check cleared. That's the answer. It doesn't have any other reasoning behind it. There is no, there is no uh, medical reasoning to this, that, he, that, that he, he needs to be you know, treated this way and others don't. It, his parents were able to afford it, and, more, and most importantly, the judge who heard the case was disposed to find this kid's life valuable and useful in a way that that they are going to assume the life of someone who is poor uh, is not. They do a, a poor person does a crime. It is validation of their uh, inherent uh, worthlessness, and they need to be punished to essentially set them uh, on a life course uh, to, of dealing with of understanding the state purely as a punitive instrument to keep them from uh, misbehaving. Whereas. Uh, for this kid, he's a productive member of society. He's going to run a hedge fund someday. You don't want to. You don't want to mess that up. You hear that a lot with judges who, who are very light in sentencing which kids is. We don't want to ruin this kid's life, which they never bring up when poor kids are in front of them because the assumption there is that they have no life worth ruining in the first place. It's already ruined by virtue of the fact that they're poor. And also, there's something sort of sinister in the middle of that where. They're not just saying that this person is more valuable than this other person. They're saying this person started off guilty and this person started off innocent. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. Major like Brock Turner vibes. By virtue of family and his uh, life situation, is an innocent because he doesn't want to take my stuff because he's already got his own stuff. They are, his family already played by the rules to do their uh, uh, primitive accumulation. So, so they're not a threat to me and in fact they could help me and their family could help me whereas poor people are just existentially threatening and have to be disciplined i think the fact that this was used as a successful legal argument kind of illustrates the extent to which we as a society are willing to go to give rich people leeway in their decisions because like it's the same thing that you hear when people ask why aren't Elon Musk or Bill Gates or whoever more charitable and they'll say, oh, they're so rich, it's just like, can't even imagine giving away that much money. You can't imagine what their life is like. And so we make excuses for these people instead of making moral judgments that make sense to us. 
Yeah, because it's different. The rich are different, as I forgot to Cheryl said. But, uh, but we can't just say that because we have a, 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 this fantasy meritocracy and, and democracy, so we have to have the, the farce of, of having objective professionals like this psychologist come over and make an argument that another objective professional in the form of this judge hears and then render these disinterested and dispassionate adjudications when it's all completely suffused with, with reinforcing hierarchies. Do we have a little bit left uh, on that video? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he just said there are rich black people. <laughs> because I I'm, think I'm, I'm not saying that black people don't have money. I I'm treat saying, all races. Well, I'm saying this judge previously, just very recently, sentenced a 14-year-old who did not have money to the Texas juvenile justice system for killing one person for yeah. 10 years. So you're telling me that there are... Yeah, I, don't, I trust that judge, and I don't know what the conditions were, Anderson. Mm-hmm. The conditions were, you, I didn't So you, you don't believe yeah. that there's a separate system? Yeah, absolutely. That's really all that needs to be said about that. I think that we should turn to what happens in 2015, which is affluenza teens escape to Mexico, or maybe we should call it horse boys last ride. <laughs> and we've seen uh, prominent figures escaping to Mexico this week, haven't we? I believe Ted Cruz is in Cancun right now. Yeah? How's that No, going? no, he came back. Oh, he, he did? Just, he was just chauffeuring his daughters to Cancun, like uh, Denzel Washington in Man on Fire. Okay. He, he was not, he was not uh, going there as part of the party. He was immediately coming back. And uh, his his college friend was showing up just to uh, help him escort the children. This is like one of those many situations we had under Trump where something he would say something dumb, and then the entire right wing media circuit like comes around to make excuses for why it happened. Because I, I think there was a Ben Shapiro thing just this week about how there's absolutely nothing wrong with Ted Cruz's behavior in going to Cancun and like leaving Texas for the moment. And it's what any good dad would do. <laughs> oh, speaking of the worst parents in politics, have we all been keeping up on the Claudia Conway TikTok situation? I mean, I know that she was uh, on TikTok talking about being abused by her mom. Then her mom, she, uh, her mom leaked a nude photo of her. Allegedly. Uh, and then she ended up, they ended up uh, dancing with the stars. Or no, uh, American Idol. <laughs> that is the resolution? Oh my god. Yeah, she auditioned for American Idol, and her mom did a video like encouraging her, which indicates the entire thing was some sort of work just to get them in the front pages. Like, her clout demon daughter staged a fake argument with her mom so that she could get more eyes on her when she was on American Idol. Pretty grim stuff. Talk about influenza. <laughs> Um, okay, so the escape to Mexico, uh, the like 450k a year academy for his rehabilitation, not sure how that's working out really, but in December 2015, a video surfaces of this teen uh, playing Pong online and like smashing into tables. He's clearly drunk, like it's a probation violation, very clearly. So uh, his parole officer is looking for him, but he's missing. Where did he go? Uh, there's a international manhunt that ensues to figure this out. Uh, turns out that his mother took him to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, where they stayed at a resort for the first few days, just chilling, you know. And then the way that they get caught is they use one of their registered phones, which the FBI has obviously wiretapped, to place an order to Domino's. <laughs> That's um, bad option. 
Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and he gets caught. Yeah, so this is the first time he actually will serve jail time. So he goes to jail for two years for violating his probation and going on this, uh, like, escape to Mexico. Um, so he gets out in 2018. And... Then what is Affluenza Teen up to now? Well, the 2020 update is that he was arrested for another violation of his probation because he tested positive for THC, which I mean, like, who among us? Yeah, legalize it, come on. Yeah. Consider the disparity here because he was released one day later, whereas obviously in the system of mass incarceration, there are people serving supremely unjust sentences for weed possession and distribution, which should not happen. Um, but then, you know, Ethan Couch walks among us, you know, in the suburbs of Fort Worth. If you're living there, if you're at Dallas Love Fields, DFW, maybe you can stop in and give him a hello. <laughs> you think he lives at the airport? Yeah. <laughs> I would. That's what I want to know. I don't know. If you could uh, tell a horse about any of your problems, what would you ask it about? Oh, wow. That's a good question. I guess uh, I, guess I would just want... I just want, want, like, the horse to forgive me for being a human, I guess. Because we're really, we're pretty bad to the animals in general. So, of course, to be like, you're okay, buddy. I would like that. Just a little encouragement from the horse. <laughs> I thought about that the last time someone asked me what animal I would be if I was going to be an animal. I just thought to myself, well, if I'm going to become this animal for forever... I'm definitely going to be fighting for the rights of that that animal or non-human animals in general. So maybe like an elephant or something so I can just trample some people. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I think... What would I ask a horse? I don't know. I would ask it to hold my secrets probably because it can't speak. So I would just like tell the horse all the crazy shit. But maybe that's the opsec is that the horse is bugged. That's when you think you're alone. So yeah. you trust the horse. The well, we've, we've already established that the horse is an informant, right? <laughs> right, it's your co-therapist, <laughs> providing real-time feedback. Yeah, the therapist confirmed that. So I just feel like that's a necessary part of the equation, that you might, you know, have this information passed along. So I'd really just be asking for, like, you know, like, basic life advice, you know, like, normal everyday decisions, what, what kind of job should I take next, what do you think my best skill sets are? I feel like a horse might know. I don't know. <laughs> Um, yeah, so anything else to cap off our discussion about Affluenza Teen and his progeny? I, I'm just, I can't wait for him to just, uh, to treat a suburban, uh, you know, one of those places where they block off the streets so that people can walk around and go to restaurants. I can't wait for him to just treat that thing like a fucking uh, Mario Kart level and just pile through people. And then eventually get in trouble if one of the people he kills uh, has more money than him. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, then what? That's exactly right. Yeah, so I think we're definitely going to appropriate this theory, but do it our way, which, as I said, is to describe it as a cultural disease which is contagious and not a mental illness that is innate or uh, needs rewiring in your brain to resolve. It has a treatment, and the treatment is just take the money away. I mean, that's... What I, I've seen things like this before, not, not in a, this extreme case like with this kid, but you see a lot of times articles by rich people talking about how it's actually kind of sucky to be rich and how it causes all this anxiety and, and this loss of purpose. And it's amazing. The solution is to them just not have the money. There's a clear cut and, and, and 100% um, 
successful cure, which is to take the money away so that they're not rich anymore. That's it. Make them have real problems. That, that's what you do. Take the money away and call me in the morning. Well, in the meantime, I'm going to be paying attention to everything that Abfluenza Teen does and the off chance that we learn something more about the disease itself. Oh, yeah, there's breaking, uh, I guess, science in the affluenza mm, epidemiology realm. <laughs> so we'll be keeping everyone posted on that for sure. All right, uh, well, wear your mask, everyone, because affluenza's catching. <laughs> All day long I'd bitty, bitty bum If I were a wealthy man Oh, Millie shit! If I was a rich man I'd my nuts on a hater Fucking these hoes, I'm a player BBS chains, watches and rains, blowing that cash on an acre. Bankroll for these stink hoes, four days in the same clothes. Push ups just to get swole. All of my bitches got white toes. Do what the fuck I want. Hit it and leave her alone. Cartier in my cologne. Hit up the country club with my bros. Stupid shit is just a double standard. I made my own lane and I took advantage. You can't hate on pussy if it rule the planet. I just came in again.